developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolfe. Last week we were at West Norwood Cemetery with Sheldon Goodman and you've been sending Sheldon a lot of love. Props to Ravi, Bad Wolf, Roaming Required, Ariana and others. And thanks too for your suggestions of future cemetery visits. This week though we're getting in amongst the crossrail chaos and we're heading just around the corner from Tottenham Court Road Station to one of London's most musical streets. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a stone throw from your front door. Hey baby, spit out me. See things of air, land, and sea. Some creep, some saw. Down the road, jam-brand stone. My heart aches for some far off place. Well, hello, hello from a church that's right in the thick of it here. We are just off the Charing Cross Road. We're at the back end of Denmark Street, and with me is Henry Scott Irvin. Why are we here? Well, um, I, in May 2014, decided we would set up a campaign called the Save Tin Pan Alley campaign. As the street was clearly about to be massively redeveloped, we'd seen plans that had gone through Camden Council, which the public weren't really aware of. And what became something of a tremendous surprise was that even the tenants in the street didn't seem to know what was happening. And we were concerned that the landlord, who is also the developer, wasn't necessarily getting the information into the buildings here. Maybe it's because they all have shared doorways. So we wanted to raise awareness, keep the music in the street, and we set up our campaign motto, which is, don't let the music die in Denmark Street. Yes, because it may not be obvious to someone unfamiliar with the area. Why would you make the connection necessarily between the two different names that the place has? Denmark Street and uh, Timpan Alley are one and the same. And they are, of course, full of music shops, but less full than they used to be. The music shops, it's been a bit of a mixed blessing, actually. I mean, we're standing here on the corner of St Giles and the Field Church, which goes back to... Wren times, I think it is a Wren church. I may be wrong, I think it was one of Wren's rivals, but it's of that uh, era. It's wonderful old stone. Well, it's, it says there, H. Flitcroft Architectures. There we go, Flitcroft, that's right. And, of course, on the corner of Flitcroft Street, so that would, that would make more sense. And, I, th- uh, I think it's a Flitcroft. It's a Flitcroft, it definitely is a Flitcroft. Wonderful here, actually, if you look down the alleyway here, and you've got old street plans for London that go back, you know, to the times of gin lanes. So there is a, a tremendous amount of history in the street. Looking into Denmark Street here, it goes back to Georgian times. And this week, we've been very fortunate to uh, get buildings at number six and number seven, grade two star listed through Historic England, who used to be known as English Heritage. Um, because they were built um, between 1688 and 1700. And they're the oldest surviving commercial buildings of their kind in London. We look across to the other side of the street, and these sort of seem like very old ramshackle brick buildings of mixed vintage. 
But the two that are facing us, where there's buses parked and traffic jams in amongst all this huge development around the back of Centre Point, we have what was the former 12-bar club. And the stage to the back of the former 12-bar club backed onto this ancient alleyway where horses used to come up this alleyway to be shooed right until the early 1970s. And they'd been doing this pretty much since medieval times. It's London's oldest surviving forge. And it was the stage to the former 12-bar club. And we have got that listed. But much to our incredible concern, it does appear that because they are building underneath it, have got the chance and the right to lift it. So I don't know if you've ever seen any of those American shows where Americans lift their wooden houses on a lorry across many states. But it appears that they're going to do that here in Denmark Street. They're going to lift the ancient forge, put it in a concrete sleeve and concrete uh, base and slide it out and move it back 500 yards whilst they uh, build this new subterranean music venue. Well, that sounds like quite a feat. I think it'll fall down. (laughs) Positivity for you. (laughs) But that sounds great, a subterranean venue, that sounds wonderful. Well, it, it, it does sound wonderful, and we also pointed out that when we'd uh, noticed their original spin, because that's what developers are very good at, it said that this was going to be a multi-purpose event gallery. And uh, I did ask Consolidated what they meant by this, and they said, oh, well, there will be music there, but we're going to have a venue that's filled pretty much 24-7, unlike music venues, which are only open two or three or four nights a week and empty and unused the rest of the time. But to uh, all intents and purposes, up until now, it did seem like they were building a conference centre. Well, I think we need to probably get in quite early that quite clearly what we don't have here is a voice from any of the developers involved or anybody from that side of things. And we're simply taking one person, one campaign's point of view here. There is another side. There are other sides to this argument. For now, though, well, you know what? We could find out, first of all, when Tim Pan Alley started. Well, Tin Pan Alley itself started um, in 1911. As early as that? Yeah. Uh, There was a guy called Lawrence Wright. He moved in uh, at the end of uh, uh, Denmark Street on the north side. The north side is the bit that if you are going in the direction that the buses go, because it's a one-way street now, and you look to your right, that's the north side towards Centre Point. Uh Lawrence Wright moved in and set up Wright Publishing, and he set up the first music paper, which was called Melody Maker, which, of course, existed for many years. And then all the music publishers moved in, they followed suit, and in the 1920s, pretty much uh, every building in the street had a, a music publisher, because before we had record charts, we had sheet music charts. And uh, people came <laughs> there's, there's in... I'll say that slowly. There's yeah. a cheap joke to be had <laughs> about what we've got today. Yeah, it became the home of songwriting and British music publishing. Uh, and you even had some famous American ones move in, like Mills Music, which uh, many years later, a very young Reginald Dwight worked at, later to change his name to Elton John. And he worked there uh, at number 20, Denmark Street, again on the north side. And, of course, during that period, it was just slightly after the rock and roll period, and because of trade union restrictive practices in the 1950s, it was very hard for uh, American rock and roll to come to Britain. So what we did was they would send us a band, and then we would send them a band. So, you know, for every two bands they sent, we could send two. And it was very hard also, you know, air, air travel isn't quite what it is now, uh, for, for that to happen. So we had our own indigenous British rock and roll scene, and it started here. In the street, there was a guy called Larry Palms, and he liked to give rock stars names. He christened them all. So he started with a guy called Tommy Steele, then Billy Fury, Marty Wilde. I think I can see a theme here. Yes. 
<laughs> and then Joe Brown came along and said, I'm going to stick with my name, Joe Brown. It's a much better name than the one you're going to give well, me. Yeah, because he was running out of silly uh, nomenclature to <laughs> apply yes. to people. There was, there was a whole load more. And, of course, they all used to... Bob the Tiger. Bob the Tiger, you know, that's right. You know. So he was here and British rock and roll started. And, and around that time... You then began to have little demo studios starting in the basement. And we can walk along the street, maybe I'll tell you about one or two of the famous ones. But um, there were very small rooms in those days, because, you know, you only had two-track and then four-track on an all-quarter-inch tape. So it was a very simple setup to make records back in so those days. So there's no point in you having that many musicians in the room at once? That's right, yeah. Yeah, you got it. Now, I'm conscious that we moved on from 1911, but when are we talking about now? So uh, so I, I would say that, you know, you had the in the late rock and roll period, sort of 57 to 59, you were beginning to get little uh, recording studios appearing in the basement. But the famous ones that everyone knows in the street would have been in the early 60s. 63, 64, you had Regent Sound, number four, which, of course, is now one of the best guitar shops in London. And it's just round the corner here. Further along, you had Central Sound, and that was um, also more of a demo studio and uh, an and up-and-coming bands a lot that didn't make it recorded there. But, of course, the Bee Gees very famously recorded their first album there. Did they get anywhere with their music? They, they, they didn't do too badly, did they? Well, what about you, though? You, you mentioned before we started recording that you've had some dealings on a business level with some fairly big names. What's your involvement in the music scene? Uh, well, very oddly, uh, by default, I ended up being an archive producer for music documentaries. So if you see a documentary with some wonderful old footage of bands on a TV show from the 60s or the 50s or the 70s, I would have probably found them. Um, and I did this back in the days before the Internet. So you used to have to sometimes get on a plane and literally go into uh, vaults and open up tin cans and uh, videotape boxes whereas nowadays when people say they found something it's probably because they did a google search yeah. and it's on a database but so we but we found lots of footage and i worked for elton john for a while who was his archivist um, he has his own archivist i had his own archivist what for a is, while. what's the role of his archivist well for two years i endeavored to buy back and remaster everything that elton john had ever been in which is a huge task so whenever we therefore see a clip of Elton John, it's going to be looking excellent. It's going to be looking nice and clean. Most of them, yes. I mean, sometimes they were so nice at Elton's offices that they would lend out masters, which they never got back. And then they go, oh, heck, uh, could we find another copy? And then you'd find it wasn't looking quite as good because it was a copy, you know? I mean, that job can't really exist anymore, can it? Because the no. o- ownership of the physical object is, is gone. The ownership is now... Uh, it's a weird thing. I mean, copyright still exists. Physical copyright still exists. Yeah, good, and good luck with that. Yeah. But, of course, obviously, now there's the... The advent of YouTube, people are putting stuff up and it's not great quality. But we were mastering off original two inches and they, and they were pin sharp, it was very good. So it enabled me to find, we were trying to find some footage of Elton looking back actually to see if he'd done anything in Denmark Street. Because uh, at one particular point in his career, you used to have these albums that sort of uh, approximated the hits of the day, were unknown artists, because when Elton was unknown in the sort of 67 to 69. He would go and uh, do copycat versions of famous hits. And most famously, I don't know if you remember Mungo Jerry's In the Summertime, but he did famously do a cover of that. <laughs> and was he trading under his original name at that point? No, it would be an anonymous name. Oh, yeah, OK. Yeah, uh, but there is a little album that's come out. I think it's called uh, Reg Dwight's Piano Plays Pop. <laughs> Very <laughs> tricks off the tongue, that one, doesn't there, it? There, yeah. <laughs> There's a, a rumour that he played a rooftop gig or something. There is a rumour that he uh, recorded your song on the roof here, but um, we, it, it's become one of these sort of urban myths, and we did ask uh, Bernie Taupin, of course, wrote, writes all the words for Elton John, if uh, that was true, and he said, no, it wasn't. I wrote it up at Elton's mum's house 
one night and uh, I showed it to Reg next morning at breakfast and I uh, managed to spill coffee on it and egg <laughs> so I can tell you he definitely weren't eating egg on the roof in Denmark Street is what he said yeah so you've got an eye to the visual aspect of things as well as the musical I wonder as, as we look at this of course thinking about the Georgian trade origins of the place you can well imagine that but what have you seen in terms of the way it's visually evolved over the years well it's been allowed to run down I mean I suppose all buildings are under a bit of a dilemma is that you know you've got English heritage as was now historic England keeping an eye on them saying you know you can't put up neon signs and you've got to keep these lovely old roofs that fold over here with red uh, terracotta tiles oh this is why Hanks has got around that by putting the neon on the inside putting the neon on the inside absolutely yes we can see it through the upper floor windows yes and that's also one of the oldest buildings on the street uh, Hanks guitar shop there it used to be known as Andy's guitar shop many many years ago they've been there for quite a long time now but when you go in there it's exactly still a Georgian townhouse but in the 1950s where Hanks was it was actually a cafe uh, it was either Julie's Cafe, now you might have caught me here, it was either Julie's Cafe or one other particular cafe, um, but uh, there were two sort of cafe-come-tea-rooms and also one next door at 26 as a tea room in the 1950s, and all the publishers used to go down there. And you'll see there's an alleyway that goes through here to what was Denmark Place, and, uh, of course, that's been there since, you know, the 1700s. I don't know much about guitars. The blue and white fellow, it just struck me how beautifully that style of instrument and I guess that kind of Western look, that 50s Western look, how nicely that fits with the pomp of the Georgian period. They just belong together in some way. They kind of do, don't they? I mean, you know, you do have, and I'm really just saying this off the top of my head, you can go along the street to a shop that used to be known as Vintage and Rare at number six, which is now No Tom, and they've got Fender Stratocasters, Rickenbacker 12 strings, Gibsons, Les Paul copies, and, uh, and wonderful steel Dobro guitars, which were made famous, of course, by uh, Dire Straits, having one of those on the cover of the, one of their famous albums. And if you wonder what this clutter is behind us, they're moving portable toilets. Oh, no, not trolleys on cobbles again. <laughs> I think they follow... Uh, maybe somebody's uh, trying to bring the show down and they're just following <laughs> us around with trolleys on cobbles. Let's take that as our cue to head down Denmark Street. Yes, let's wander it. And what a perfect time to take a word from our sponsor. Whether you're adventuring in London or further afield, we know that every great day starts with an excellent night's sleep. And that's exactly what our sponsor on this week's show is offering. Our sponsor is Eve. And Eve makes and sells only one thing, and that is a superb mattress. And Eve is so confident that you're going to fall in love with this mattress that they're offering it to you on a 100-day trial. Just get yourself onto evemattress.co.uk. You're going to be confronted by a very comfortable-looking bed. There's a drop-down menu pick the size that suits you tell eve you want it use the code londonist to get 50 pounds off it'll be with you within three days free of charge and if you don't like it no drama just let eve know within 100 days and they'll pick it up and give you a full refund there's a lot to like about this and eve has got all the bases covered there's even a 10-year guarantee on every mattress so remember our name to give you that 50 pound discount that's londonist as you go to www.evemattress.co.uk to give every day a perfect start we are in denmark street we're just barely in denmark street we've got our toes in denmark street and the first thing i noticed you mentioned the buses earlier on is that the street is entirely full i mean nose to tail of double deckers 
this is a, a serious through route. It's the only route for buses at the moment going through this part of London because uh, of the huge redevelopment in the St Giles area for Crossrail. It is amazing. You, you, you mention it to tourists or to people who haven't been in London and they, they come here and they're already lost. It seems to have completely changed the area and the area will, of course, change continually now until 2018. Of course, Denmark Street is protected and the buses are soon to be rerouted back into a two-lane facility in Charing Cross. Charing Cross Road, of course, at the moment is only one way, so they're coming along here one way into Denmark Street and then turning left going south down uh, Charing Cross Road. But that is soon about to change. But it is a continual traffic jam of, um, of red buses. Well, you've got to know what you're doing. And if you were an unsuspecting driver following your sat-nav, then you'll wish you hadn't. <laughs> yes. And also what you'll see, of course, is a continual stream of cement mixers and uh, dumper trucks taking away soil because the excavations here are massive. In fact, it probably has just quietened down because it's lunchtime, but the buses would be probably replaced very soon by a continual stream of builders. Well, this is very much what we're here to talk about, and we should come, of course, to what the campaign seeks to save Timpan Alley from. Well, I think our idea was to put it under the spotlight so that the developers couldn't just uh, sneak too many planning amendment applications through. We, we have been working with them. Uh, they may find us to be a bit of an irritant, perhaps. But they have said all along that they're very keen to keep music in Denmark Street, and so are we. So we, uh, it, ideologically, we have the same goal. My concern was that a lot of the buildings that the public might not be aware of upstairs was this was a thriving hub of mixed music industry small industry you had guitar makers they're called luthiers in fact we had six guitar makers in the street some of them have gone to america we only have uh, two as far as i'm aware at the moment andy gibson at number 25 in the basement and Is that uh, andy gibson as in gibson gibson no no oh, okay good name to have though mm. isn't it <laughs> i'm sure he's done well out of that um, we used to have Philippe here in the basement. <laughs> Fred Stratocaster at number Fred three. Fred Stratocaster, that's right. Let's pull down the road. Uh, but what we also used to have here is we used to have small little production companies at laptops upstairs. You would have uh, photographic agencies. Uh, on the south side, which is still occupied upstairs, you have Agnes B, the famous fashion school, fairly rock and roll clothing. And you also have uh, Roast Beef, who are a pop former production company. They like being here because... You've got still a venue downstairs underneath what was uh, Regent Sound Studios, which is the Alley Cat, the last surviving venue in the street, open seven nights a week, up-and-coming stars, open mic nights. Uh, And you've got all these wonderful guitar shops lining the entire street, both sides, Uh, a couple of keyboard shops as well, a bass guitar shop, and even a classical musical instrument shop uh, on the corner of... uh, Charing Cross Road and Denmark Street. It sounds as though this could be a number of different things, potentially. Maybe it was all of these things as well, I don't know. And I'll I'll preface this by saying I'm sure the traders here are all completely above board and uh, true to good moral form. But it sounds as though there was every opportunity with this whole one-stop shop thing going on here for a young, unsuspecting act to be royally fleeced. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, you can listen to... The Kinks song, Denmark Street, um, written in 1917. Of course, you had all these entrepreneurs, I suppose is the word that one might use. If one thinks of a television series called Budgie from the early 1970s with Adam Faith, all about kind of London lightly lads, there were certainly a lot of lightly lads upstairs and you could go and sign and sign away all your publishing to one guy and then he'd take you downstairs 
sign you up to a manager and a couple of days later you could be recording one of their basements and then find some years later you hadn't really made very much money on any of your songs. And of course the Kinks have written about this uh, extensively and they have a musical in the West End all about one of those particular characters who worked in the street kind of doing that to them. A real person. Yeah, a real person. Well, let's look at some of the individual places here then. We've spoken a little bit about Hanks. Now, when we've been talking about this place off-air, you've been making a distinction between the north and south sides. Yes. Uh, The reason we're making that distinction is that the north side that we're looking up to now, you can see a lot of windows are sort of with the window panes open and you can see a few of them are broken because they're in there refurbishing them. Um, The buildings to the north side are going to be gutted in terms of interior and uh, they will be building a hotel there. There is certain supervision now and preservation for shops going up to the first floor because they've lost the back of their shops on the north side. They've lost two-thirds of the depth because they've demolished the back of Denmark Street north side. So, so, so you're saying that each shop is now significantly smaller than it used to be? Yes, massively. Yeah. Right. And still with the same owner? No, some shops have come and gone. Uh, that's a fair point. You can see Macari's here, which was established in 1958. They've moved back here uh, recently. They have another shop around the corner in Charing Cross Road. But many of these shops are, are not the old original shops. There is uh, one Rose Morris that's been here on the south side, and they've, they've been in the street for um, over 30 years. But no, many of the established names have gone. Uh, they've either gone out of business or they've moved on. And this is... This is a significant thing that was a concern to the campaign, is that, um, as far as we're aware, there's at least 13 shops over the past 30 years that have gone. Uh, Some of them have reinvented themselves under other names in other cities. But, um, you know, you were talking Rockers was a very well-established shop at number five, I believe, just along here, uh, which is now Relentless. That had originally been Top Gear in the late 1960s. So that was... Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Kind of the, and that just moved out a couple of years ago. That was one of the longest-standing guitar shops in the street, and it's just gone, you know, it's evaporated. Well, that's sort of t- churn over 30 years. That's not remarkable, is it? No, no, no. These shops uh, come and go, but I, for whatever reason, and uh, we haven't been party to that, their lease wasn't renewed. So a lot of leases, when they run out, are simply not being renewed. So as a campaign, our, our point really was to make sure, and we've achieved this, that the existing... 11 businesses on the ground floor when their leases run out instead of being given notice or offered another three month or six month lease they've now got to legally offer them a three year lease So reading between the lines then it sounds as though the campaign got wind of the fact and we'll talk about the origin a little more but got the idea that the instability of the the, uncertainty of the future was going to be threatening the cultural fabric here. Is that about it? I'd say that's very much it, because, I mean, it, it, certainly we've managed to preserve the uh, guitar shops now here on the ground floor, as they all have to be offered three-year leases. But what we were also concerned about was what was happening above the shops, 
and we've managed to earmark through a thing called a Section 106 agreement, which is very boring, but I'll explain it in simple terms. Is the council, when they grant permission for planning redevelopment, put in certain strings, and the strings are this agreement that you have to agree to our terms. And as a campaign, we sought to influence those terms and point out that when people talk about Denmark Street, they say, oh, Henry, it's nostalgia, it's the past. You're talking about the Rolling Stones having recorded their first album at Denmark Street as Regent Sounds, you know, in 1964. All those days have gone. Those studios are closed. But the point is that, as I said earlier, upstairs, you still had all these independent music businesses of diversity with young people who were, over the past 20 years, very much happy to be here because they could go and buy their musical instruments, they could rehearse at Enterprise Studios in Denmark Place, they could get a gig at the 12 Bar Club, Enterprise Studios now gone, 12-bar club now gone. They would hang out in the bars. To the right of me here, you would have seen a music bar famously known as the Intrepid the Fox. Intrepid Fox, of course. Now demolished, now gone. The 12-bar club... Well, moved, anyway. No, it, it did move, and that closed. Oh, is that gone? Yes. Well, it was a crazy place to put it. Uh, they, they put it in what was the famous Archway Tavern in Holloway, but I think Holloway has just not the rock and roll area everyone hoped it might be. Uh, and if, if memory serves, that's on a roundabout, and uh, you don't want to be on a roundabout. You don't really want to be on a roundabout. It's a very fair point you make there, yes. Particularly indeed. if you're trying yeah. to get out of the place drunk. That, that's a, <laughs> not a good scenario. No, so... Um, so the, a lot of these businesses sort of evaporated and, and are never to come back. And, you know, and I think a lot of people have said, well, are these shops going to be able to weather the fact that there is a development here? Uh, so we're now in a sort of discussion with the local council and Camden Planning is to ensure that when they refurbish these buildings, can you imagine the amount of dust that's going to fall down when you gut four floors of building and remove the supporting walls? How much dust is going to fall downwards onto these wonderful guitars? It's not going to do the lacquer of the guitar or any of the machine heads much good. So we're hoping that these shops will be given compensation and rehoused somewhere else. And uh, we have heard rumours that they are going to do this, but we'd like to see a written commitment from the developers. And, you know, I think if the developers do this, then in actual fact... They deserve a badge of honour. And if Lawrence Kershell, who runs Consolidated Development, is an old Soho developer of old, is not one of the international corporations, if he does honour his pledges to keep music in Denmark Street and do what we say, don't let the music die, then maybe there should be a statue to Lawrence Kershell for having been the developer who fulfilled his promise. I've been rooting around in what you've been saying to try and establish whether it is the disturbance that's well, inevitably going to happen if you've got digging going on in and around and under a recording studio and the dust that you mentioned. Is it a lack of disturbance or is it continuity, the through line that you want to preserve? And it sounds as though it's the latter. Well, what we were concerned about initially was when... I mean, there have been many sets of plans for this street, but the original plans were to make it bijou hotels above the shops and then luxury penthouse flats as well. Oh, more luxury penthouse flats. Yeah. You know, I mean, London's really not got enough penthouses or flats. Desperately need some... That's what your campaign should be doing, is uh, try and get some more luxury penthouse flats. (laughs) (laughs) Instant success. Oh, heck. I mean, uh, we were wondering if they were going to... No, anyway, yeah. (laughs) I'll stop myself there. Um, I'm surprised I haven't been turned into a luxury penthouse flat. (laughs) We're just walking along here, of course. We, you can hear the traffic in the background here because it's, 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 it's uh, very continual. And we're looking down a cast-iron stairwell 
And this was the goods in in the 1960s for what was Regent Sound guitars. It's well, that's very atmospheric, isn't it? It's a Zen bar now. But there's nothing Zen about it. It looks like the intrepid fox used to feel. Well, it, well it's actually... Uh, uh, Zen bar actually probably is the name before. It's now the Alley Cat. Uh-huh. It's now the Alley Cat music venue. This is now a wonderful guitar shop run by Crispin Weir. And he's been running it for a long time. And it, they, you can see they've got a beautiful Gretsch guitar there in the window. These guitars with tremolo arms. They've maintained the old paintwork here from when it was a recording studio. Oh, yes, we see the name of the studio out there in, uh, well, that looks sort of 50s or 60s style. Yes. Up, up until the millennium throughout the 1990s, people might also remember this as Helter Skelter Music Books, which was a London's only music bookshop, which uh, sadly, of course, was curtailed. Down here, of course, the Rolling Stones did their first album. Tom Jones recorded down here. Black Sabbath recorded their first two albums. So there you go, on the first floor, at ground level. I suppose the elephant in the room, talking about shops closing down over the last 30 years, is the advent of the internet and online shopping. And I I really feel I shouldn't be bringing this up, but I kind of have to. Surely a place like this is days are are numbered, really. And what's it going to be other than a showroom for online purchases? Well, that's a fair point. It's a point that the developer, who, as I said, is the landlord, Lawrence Kershell, said that he felt that the future will be online shopping, and they have this huge building that you're soon going to see facing Centrepoint to the rear of the north side of Denmark Street, and it'll be a building called the Outernet, and it will be a, a huge screen, which is a new version of the internet that you can react to with your telephone to buy stuff. And they were hoping that people would be able to buy their guitars off the screens rather than actually come to the shops. But, but my counter to that is, if you want to buy a guitar off the internet, you really don't know how it's going to sound, whether it's a fake guitar, whether it's had the machine heads replaced, whether the neck's been replaced, and also just how it sounds and how it feels to play. Oh, that's true. OK, so no, what I was thinking was that all, all guitars on a particular line would be the same. So you'd come in and you try it out in the shop and then you get it £200 cheaper online. But you're right, the individual instruments, yes. yes. Well, I, well, I also guess that what this street is famous for, although you could go to Westside Guitars here and uh, probably buy a very nice acoustic or electric guitar that's, uh, you know, a, a well-known, widespread brand bargain basement guitar, or you could come over here to... Uh, Regent Sounds or go along the road to No Tom and buy a vintage guitar that you probably wouldn't find anywhere else in the world and that's what this street's famous for it's famous for vintage guitars and there's more guitars here I have to say, this is the only street of its kind in the world, it's the only street that is lined with musical instrument shops all the way down on both sides, there is nowhere else like it there there was in New York, it's now gone there was in Paris, I think there's only two left so it is the street of the music. What's caused the disintegration of those streets? Uh, in, in America, the same parallel is here. Redevelopment, uh, flats, hotels and the yuppification. That's a bit of a dismal prospect one way and another. <laughs> it's very annoying. But it's change, isn't it? That's, we, we can't uh, slow down change. We, we can't slow down change, but you know, the amazing thing is if you look to Paris... Paris has uh, an area of old bookshops, and although they have slightly re- changed the law there now, they had this thing where they were tax-exempt, because it, they realised that people wanted to come not only to see their old bookshops and buy books, but uh, that it was what attracted the tourists to that area. It gave it an area a badge. We wanted to make this area a heritage zone, so that this was Music Zone, Music Zone London. 
So the areas in London, like Hatton Garden, which is synonymous with jewellery, is also a heritage zone. This isn't, sadly. Uh, it is a special policy area designated by Camden Council. But I think that's what makes people come to places on holiday. They want areas that have historic significance. You know, I mean, can you imagine them pulling down Venice and putting up some concrete buildings on stilts? So it begs the question then, for what reason does the collective identity of Timpan Alley, Denmark Street, need protection? For what reason is it not protecting itself by virtue of its success? Well, that's also a very fair point you raise. But what we have to realise is that we have this monolith now called Crossrail. And at the end of the street, you can see the Google buildings. It's multicoloured to represent the, uh, the, the, the colours of the Google search engine. And there is a very significant reason as why they came here, because this is a creative hub, an area of music and arts on the edge of Soho, also a very bohemian area. They had a home of uh, television post-production, uh, the film industry certainly in the 70s and 80s, uh, going back to the 50s, in fact, in Wardour Street. Uh, that's why people come here. It is a, a bohemian, thriving village of creativity. Is it going to disappear? Well, yes, it will because of Crossrail. Crossrail has meant that the land will multiply probably some 40 to 50 times. The rateable value of the buildings will then go up significantly and the rents with it. And then that's when these shops, can they afford to stay? And what we've tried to do through the campaign, through the 106 agreement with Camden Council and the developer consolidated, is to ensure that rents are not frozen, which we would have liked, but they'll now have what they call a tin pan alley use rent, which means that they have to be tied into a fair rent scenario in terms of increase. So we think the shops are protected, but it it unfortunately is vague enough to be um, vague. Yes, and unfortunately because of the legal consequences of some of the alleys we might venture down, we have to be similarly vague. So I ask this in a a vague mode. What has been the level of collaboration between the shops on the street? Well... You know, uh, it's it's interesting. If you look to any particular industry, there are always rivals. And a lot of these shops don't talk to one another. But many do. And also because a lot of them are relatively new businesses over the past decade, the more established ones may have a certain grudge against the ones that have new kids on the dock. But some of the new kids on the dock like Regent Sounds here are doing extremely good business there is one Joe's on the north side and they have uh, several shops the bass, keyboard and guitar shop and they're also doing uh, very well as well as a new business a relatively new business of course uh, Brian who runs it has been working in guitar shops all his life so he knows exactly what he's doing so no no slouches these people but uh, it's meant that they haven't wanted to upset the Apple car, because as I said earlier on, you have to consider the fact that the developer is the landlord. And I'm thinking here of the various artistic hubs around town, and inevitably what happens there, and there are several examples that will spring to mind, is that you'll have an old warehousing district, or an old meatpacking district, or an old whatever it might be. There'll be cheap rent, because the places are ramshackle and rundown and no longer used for the thing for which they were built. The artists will move in, the area will get cool cachet, prices will go up, the artists will be forced to decamp elsewhere, and they might do so en masse, and another hub is born. What's to stop the music shops doing the same thing? Or just agree, well, we're all going to go off to, I don't know, somewhere cheap, Peckham. 
it, no, it, Peckham's <laughs> no longer cheap <laughs> for exactly that reason. It's a cyclical event, isn't it? Um, one looks at Shoreditch as an area that um, yeah, exactly. was old printing works and pretty run down and still had bomb sites that hadn't been developed when the last area to have bomb sites that are now of course being developed this year and of course that area is now being developed um, much of it into hotels and luxury flats as well as we speak everyone talks about where's the new soho where's the new shoreditch somebody actually said to me the other day could it be dartford <laughs> you know which dartford yes <laughs> which isn't even really in Do london they know where dartford is <laughs> You know, and then other people are saying, oh, you know, it's, it's all moved up to Dalston and Kingsland Road. But my... Well, now, that, that seems a more realistic fit to me. That's, that does seem a more realistic fit, but the problem is, is accessibility. Every city needs a beating heart. Uh, if you actually destroy the heart of the West End, you know, as in America they call it downtown or uptown or midtown if you get rid of that then you if you destroy the heart then you're only left with arteries arterial roads and london's stuffed with arterial roads and holloway being a case in point it ended up having five music venues last year we've seen the intrepid fox close in holloway road uh, the archway tavern we've seen the 12 bar club close at what was fibbers in holloway road there are still two there the big red is the famous one and nambuka and there was the venue, which I suddenly forget the name of, that used to be by Highbury and Islington Tube that also closed down in the basement. Was it the Bullet Bar? But, you know, it, it does just go to show, you know, to repeat uh, uh, a bad mixed metaphor, you know, that uh, if, you, if you destroy the heart of a city, that the arteries won't work. And I think that might happen in London. I can't see that the centre of London, as we see it now, will move to an area like Dalson, Kingsland Road. There is certainly creativity there, but it's it's very hard to get home from. It's very easy to get home from London. We have train stations up there, and, uh, and you know, Crossrail will bring everyone into London. But what they really need to do is they're going to make so much profit in this area that anyone who's invested in this area... I mean, I believe the street was purchased for around 12 million in 1996 by the current landlord consolidators we're told by our informants that this area will be worth somewhere in the region of 980 million in 2018 when crossrail opens so even if they are investing 100 million and they've got to pay back huge amounts of interest to their investors it's surely win 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 for everyone so you know, um, they can afford to really keep these people here because this is the badge of honour that brings people to the street. Because if they let these people go, um, it, you know, and then they bring in chain shops, even if it's uh, big guitar name chains, it won't be the same because they are the kind of guitars you could buy on the internet and send back to that we won't name the manufacturers. That's why we want to keep it here. We want to also make sure that some guitar makers come back to the street. Maybe a, a music school, like a fame school for songwriters, for guitar makers again. And uh, we also want to make sure that perhaps people like Agnes B, who make cool clothes, would be allowed to stay. That the pop promo company, Roast Beef, would be allowed to stay. We do understand that the last music publisher in the streets, Music Sales, will be allowed to stay. So these have been some kinds of victory. And I think that's the progress of the campaign, that uh, if we hadn't been around, I'm not sure you'd see quite what you see here now in 2016. It might have all been beginning to go. I suppose in closing, it might be worth saying something about the styles and styles of music and how that evolution has 
affected things here as well because I can't help noticing, of course, that it's very guitar-centric. There's a bass guitar shop just over there. We've got several keyboard shops, all of which caters to particular kinds of music. And if you were into your electronica, I'm, I'm seeing less evidence of that stuff being catered to. There's probably a little bit going on here. But a lot of stuff now is done on computers rather than on uh, real-life instruments in any case. So I'm wondering about uh, how that will be affecting the fortunes of Timpan Alley. Well, you still do have the keyboard shop at One Joe's, but that's a fair point too. But also it means that you could hire a little small room and do it here. And Because most people do do things with technology, but if you want good technology, you usually have to pay for somebody to do something. But you raise a fair point about different styles of music, and I should point out something that we haven't mentioned is uh, last week in the listing through Historic England for number six and number seven, the Georgian buildings, at the back is the Sex Pistols' old rehearsal space. And that's where punk rock began. This is a very special story, because Malcolm McLaren knew that this was where the movers and shakers were. He realised that there was a heritage here. Even though he was a tyke and a mischief-maker, he also was a very traditional man. He realised that the Larry Parnes, who I mentioned earlier, who was the manager of the rock and roll stars, he realised he could be a kind of equivalent, an equivalent of Andrew Lou Golden who, of course, produced the Rolling Stones album in this building we're standing outside here in 1964. So he moved the Sex Pistols into the outbuilding at the back of number six, and all their cartoons still exist on the walls. And that helped get this the grade two star listing, because it's now been seen by modern-day archaeologists, pretentious as it may sound, as an equivalent to cave paintings in France by prehistoric man. <laughs> so there we go. So that's caused all manner of, um, shall we say, discussion in the papers. And it also came at a week when uh, Malcolm McLaren's son, uh, Vivian Westwood's son, his strange son, I might add, uh, Joe Corey, said he was going to burn a whole lot of punk memorabilia. So that kind of helped fuel the story. It happened to be nice timing. I don't know if he knew that this listing was about to go through, but as this listing went through, it embraced that story. It's the 40th anniversary of punk. Punk rock began in Denmark Street in 1976 at number six. What a great story. Well, it's uh, where the story has to end for us today. If people want to get involved with helping out with saving Timpan, if they want to campaign themselves, they want to join your campaign, or if they want to completely disagree with you, how do they find out what you're saying? Uh, it's very simple. We have a very simple website, and it is save. T-P-A, T for Tin, B for Pan, A for Alley, save T-P-A, not .com, but .T-K. The reason we've got a .T-K is it's a free website, (laughs) but we do hope that it is very professional and it's got all the information you could want. There is a petition there. Uh, Just click on the link. We've got 32,000 signatures so far saying save Tin Pan Alley. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, our motto is don't let the music die in Denmark Street from Denmark Street. Henry Scott Irvin, thanks very much. Been an absolute pleasure, Quentin. Thank you. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Henry Scott Irvin. Thanks too to Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolfe.